Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Welcome to the Talking Gardens podcast with me, Stephanie Mahan. This time, I'm very excited to be talking with the celebrated Dutch planting designer, Pete Edoff, best known for creating transformative public planting schemes, such as the Leary Garden in Chicago, the High Line in New York, the Olympic Park in London and Hauser and Wirth in Somerset. I started by asking Pete to describe his dream garden. I have dream gardens, are the gardens I probably try to make when I'm uh, working with the client uh, on a new project. But a dream garden is, of course, that you, but you, if you're inspired by, by all the nature and beauty of nature around you, that is what you try to achieve. But you, at the same time, you know, you never can do that. You will never achieve what your sort of fantasy pushes you to. The complexity of a dream garden is too high, I think, to ever achieve it. And you have to be fair to yourself that you never can do that. You know, the gardens I do are satisfying and very satisfying at certain points when we have people that take good care of them. But that's more or less the limit of what one can do. And what is in the gap between what you imagine in your head and what ends up being the reality? Could you sort of say how different is it or or how far away is that dream that you initially come up with compared to what you end up achieving? Yeah, to be honest, I'm a very realistic person. So I, so everything that I do uh, seems to work out in the way I have it in mind. Uh, different sometimes, sometimes more beautiful, not so much disappointments after so many years of working. So the fact is that what I do is is a lot of thinking, a lot of things putting together before you can start doing it. And so the whole process takes sometimes weeks till uh, from beginning till the end by making a planting design or a garden design. And, and there's so many things in between that you have meetings that, you know, what you have in mind is just a, a sort of, you know, a big idea when you start and when you're finished. The idea, uh, you hope that the idea is still what you had in mind in the, in the beginning. So in between the beginning and the end, there's a big gap of uh, just working and I just try to make it realize on paper. Um, we, we sort of get a good insight into your working processes in your new book, uh, Pete Edoff at Work. How was that making that book? Because uh, for people who don't know, it's it's not written by you. It's written about you by some of your friends and associates and people that you've worked with over the years. Um, how was that experience compared to your other books of, of having all of these people write essays about you and talk about your work over the years? 
Now uh, you know that the books we have made from the beginning, you know, in the early nineties, uh, with Hank Gerse, the book Dream Plants, later called Dream Plants for the Natural Garden. I think that was the beginning of all the writing, but I never wrote one thing in any book we did. So it was always collaborating with someone that knew my work, could translate my work, or a corporate uh, book with Noel about, you know, uh, designing your plants and Noel Kingsbury. Noel Kingsbury. So um, I co- I learned to cooperate with people, and that uh, that worked out very well. We have made more than ten books altogether, and this book was just because I had so many. I've done so many gardens over all these years, and I've uh, you know started uh, completely different, but very different by never making a planting plan, and that started to happen when I worked on bigger scale projects that I had to do something on paper, and then. I started to train myself to put my planting plans on paper. Also, I, I started to learn myself how to calculate the numbers of plants, you know, the spacing of plants and all these things over the years that made that I could keep my work as a document instead of just having lists of plants that you would throw away after making the garden and then follow up with the gardeners what to do. So I had so many drawings and uh, in the beginning of the pandemic i just uh, started to scan them in i have a professional scanner so i and there were more than a thousand drawings and sketches 1500 i think altogether so what i did what i thought that, that i should do something with it i had the idea roughly already in my head but now i had them on you know in my my computer in my files on a very good resolution so i could do something with him, and then Fidon. I think there were more people at that moment that wanted to make a, a book. They, you know, sometimes ask you, "Do we have a new idea, or do we have this or that?" I said, "Yes, I, I would love to make a book about my design, a sort of artistic book, more artistic." And I had first, I had in mind only to do drawings and not many texts. And then we, at the end, with the designer of uh, Fidon, we they create a sort of first concept of how the book could be laid out, and then. They came up with just pictures of gardens and just uh, the essays. And so it uh, came to a point that it was not just about the drawings, but it was just a, a, a more. It was just showing the gardens, showing the drawings, showing the whole process. And that worked out very well. I think at least uh, when you see the book now, you think it works out better than probably just drawings. Yeah, your planting plans are quite well known and you've even had exhibitions of them in different places haven't you because they're they're so extraordinary with all of their different colours and very unique to you how you do them. A lot of other designers they don't like to share their planting plants they're afraid that people will copy what they do but you don't seem to mind sharing. Yeah what is the problem you know uh, I think by sharing because uh, all my life I shared you know whether people came to my house I had one plant I could dig it up and gave them the other a part of it, or uh, that always have. That's how I am, and sharing is. But I thought also showing people how you do it makes it also uh, feel that you can teach some people of of the ideas. And uh, if you look at restaurants and chefs, they share all their uh, recipes. You know, if you look in their books, every uh, big meal, whatever uh, famous meal, is just split up in in. in and all these little ingredients, and they tell you how to do it. And still people cannot do it. 
Yes, true, isn't it? Yeah, just because you have those ingredients doesn't mean you can do what it's a Michelin star chef No, it doesn't say that you can does, cook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of chefs, um, one of the projects in the book and one of your more recent projects is the famous Noma in Copenhagen. How was that project? Um, I know that they've changed how they're doing things there from sort of a fine dining restaurant to something a little bit more uh, experimental, that they're moving into a new phase and what they're doing. No, there's still a sort of very fine dining restaurant, but I think they, they stopped doing that frequently. They opened the restaurant, I think, if I'm right, by time. And at the rest, they started testing restaurants at Noma, and they uh, are going to uh, sell products, I think, also. So they test, they make things from the restaurant that you can buy or other restaurants can buy. I think that is roughly what they are going to do. But at the moment, they are just in Kyoto. They do their, they're there for three months altogether, I think. And that, yeah, that's fine, fine dining every night. So. It's hard to say, but it's a very complex thing to keep 100 people work, uh, you know, on the payroll and then uh, doing something simple that is not easy. Was it fun to sort of collaborate with, you know, a chef or, you know, a group of, of, of restaurant people, food people? Yeah, it was very easy. They came to Hamelo, we showed them the garden, we talked a little bit. They loved what I did and what I do. They were talking about a, a garden with with plants that you could use for, you know, for the kitchen or for the restaurant. But uh, I thought that is hardly impossible because a lot of them are herbs, not attractive. And so uh, most of the perennials are not really for cooking. Yeah? But I said we could do in the, that the garden is split up in, in you know, three areas, a kind of small woodland and parking lot area, and then a long stretch towards the end, which is split up in a small area near the testing kitchen where they can do what they like. So we have a little concept every year of what to do and they can fill it in with things they like or they want. They can add anything they want. And we do that together with the gardener. I think the garden will stay. So it's not that the restaurant stops and the garden will stop. No, the garden will go on because it's an important place for them to do the testing. But I think that is yeah, how it goes. So I felt a sort of freedom, very free, yeah, because there's no, I, I don't get any comment on what I do. So only questions what to do or, or questions, can we add something like this? And, you know, that's a normal process. Collaboration, you do seem to, you talked about it for the book and, 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 and obviously when you're working with other creative people for something like Noma and they're being experimental, do you enjoy that process of collaboration with other people on your projects around the world. I believe you sort of have team members, you know, that you use for different projects in different places. No, I work on my own and all the people I work with are independent garden designers or, or uh, plant specialists or, or I work, for instance, when I'm in the US, I work with a landscape architect who take care of all the, um, you know, documents and all the uh, necessary paperwork and also he communicates with the client and I work under him on the project. And so that's how we communicate. I have a network of three, four people in America that I really know how I work and how to implement the garden from my drawings. I think that that is important, but that took me, took me many years to discover those people because uh, some of them learned from me how to do it. And I think that's why they are very thankful and want to help me when I'm over there. 
do you develop a shorthand with them? Is it easier to communicate now that you've worked, you know, when you've worked together on a few projects and you've sort of... Yeah, I can just mail them and say, well, you know, it's a new project offered. Can you help me out with, you know, the planting? Or, or something? If I need a landscape architect, I can call him and say, new project, can you take care of the all the uh, necessary uh, technical issues and communicate with the client if I'm not there? And that's how it happens. So... It is easier, but the danger is that you can take on too much work because there's so many sort of people that join in that it feels so easy sometimes that you forget that there's for yourself just a limited uh, part of time. Yeah. How, how do you decide what you're going to say yes to? What makes a, a project worth taking on for you? Yeah, it often is the person, how people approach you. So if they're nice, they can just... Uh, and when it feels good on the telephone, you say, oh, send me an email with what you think is, uh, you know, you want me to do. And then from there out, we start to communicate. If I, if I think it's too big or it, you know, in my age, I think sometimes it takes too long. You know, it's just at the start of everything and it can, can take 10 years before it's finished. So those are the projects you don't do anymore. But I try to find out. Yeah, the quality of the project, also not as necessarily where it is, but more the people around it and what they, you know, the enthusiasm and also the logistics. So uh, I can see sometimes that it's in the middle of a country where I think, okay, how can we get the plants? How, and then I see the, all the problems that can come up, which the uh, the client doesn't see. Uh, they have a gardener, but, you know, it, a gardener is not enough. You need to be able to provide the plants and people to set out the plants. And so the whole organization should be right. And I think people forget about that. I can do that, but not everywhere. Will you talk about the difficulty of getting plants? I know that one of the reasons I believe that you even started with what you do now way, way back in the day is because you found it difficult for the projects that you were working on, uh, that you were landscaping to find the plants that you you really loved that you thought would work and you set up your own nursery to to grow those plants but now that you've closed your nursery where do you find the plants that you're growing do you have people growing specific things for you do you still get excited about finding new plants that are being bred or being um, grown in different places you know that uh, we started a nursery and you know Anya my wife is very important in the whole process because she took care of all the public relationships she was selling the plants and I could in the meantime she was just uh, doing the sort of uh, communication with the clients on the nursery I was often in the office just being busy with my work uh, design work or traveling so that was in the beginning the idea was just to grow plants for my projects but the first five six years I had no projects so it all started with the nursery to become well known by the 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 kind of plants we were growing and introducing and also breeding at that time there was so much time here in nurse in you know on the nursery and to do that. And my traveling was most of my I could say my friends lived in England because that, that was where you know the sort of uh, where it all happened for me and it's all where I got so many friends that it was easy to get the plants that we were not having here in the Netherlands. So it was sort of, and on the other hand, we traveled to Europe and Germany and, and uh, Scandinavia, and we found plants that, yeah, we also didn't have in the Netherlands, but people from England found them interesting. So we became a sort of international hub for people that love plants. And organizing these plants days in the in the eighties made it also, and inviting nurserymen from all over the Netherlands made it 
you know, that our nursery was the thing. You know, it was not about me and my uh, my design work. Uh, it was all about that nursery man that also did some design work. You know, that that. Uh, but the meaning was that I was as a designer started the nursery to have the, the right plants. But that's a long story short. It all worked out. So after six, seven years, we got really design work and Anya did the nursery and I, I could travel. And yeah, the variety of plants was important for me because if you travel and you love plants and gardens, everywhere you come, you see something that nobody sells because you, you visit people that love plants, that collect them from places where you haven't been and will never be your whole life. And, and so you want to take them home and produce them. And so we did that. But when we stopped, uh, when we decided to stop, I had to find people that could produce them. And I had this relationship with future plants for many years, future plants that produces plants mainly for uh, you know, wholesale or uh, uh, we could say that uh, just sending them over to America. And so they were very helpful in the beginning uh, when I started to work in the U.S. on gardens that they could send over plants that they didn't have in the U.S. So I could, through them, I could find wholesale growers in the U.S. that could could provide me with plants or grow plants for that first American garden in, in Chicago. The Lurie Garden. The Lurie Garden. So that, and you can see so many things happened that, uh, and then at that time in America, there was, you know, the growers didn't grow much, you know, they bought wholesale plants from bulk growers that also sold perennials. So the main assortment and main variety of plants were hostas and astilbes and uh, hemorrhoculus and and maybe Veronica, but, and that was that. So, so, but that changed very much and very fast from the year 2000 and onwards. They started also to produce themselves to breed plants. And so now there's sort of equal, like in the Netherlands and sometimes even more. So today there's no problem to get the plants that you like. Of course, you have sometimes because it's, it's in your system to find things that you know that not everyone grows and to put them on your drawing because you think if I'm lucky, I can find them somewhere. And that happens. So I'm very aware of what is not available, but sometimes I try it because I know there's some people or, or small companies that we can find them. So that is America. So that works very well. And in the Netherlands, we, uh, with future plants and, and other big nurseries, uh, we could, you know, we can more or less find what we need. There could be a problem that things are sold out. Things are just sold just before they, you know, sometimes you order in advance, but then at the end they say, okay, this didn't work out. And, you know, for one or other reason that is not there anymore. And, you know, it's always not problematic, but there's always little problems of what at the end is not there what you ordered. Even at your level, you have to deal with sometimes the plants that you want not being available. That will make a lot of designers listening feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah, the good thing is we stick we stick to uh, a few people that we uh, order plants to. 
So they can collect it from other growers so that it all comes together. So that makes it less complicated at the end. But it could be complicated because uh, other growers promise the grower we, uh, we use that they have it and sometimes not. But I have the problem that everyone has. It has nothing to do with me, but with the, you know, the complexity of the market. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. And do you still find new plants that you haven't come across before, you know, in people's gardens or nurseries and then get excited and bring it home and grow it to see how it is? Or um, is it is it different for you? Is it more that you can hear about a new cultivar that's come out and kind of understand that maybe you would want to use it in your scheme? Or do you still get excited when you see something in someone's garden that you don't, you've never come across before? I can't become excited. Excited, but you know the other thing is that every plant you like wouldn't be a plant that people will grow because it can be a sort of too delicate, you know, and it could be too complicated to grow. So, and uh, of course, I buy plants and plant them in my garden and see what they do. And uh, if I like them, I see if they are someone grows them or if future plants can grow them on for uh, or anyone else that I know. But that, I, I try to stick to the variety I know, and there's, uh, I find new plants, but it takes three, four, five years sometimes to get a new plant into the market, on a, even on a smaller scale. There's hardly any plant that they produce and say, oh, next year we have 10,000. Oh, yeah. I can give you an example of this uh, new schizogerium, that uh, little blue stem from Cassian Smith, that we found years and years ago in, in the Weinheim Garden in uh, Germany. In the in um, Hessen, Hessen, yeah, yeah, Hermanshof, not Hessen, <laughs> Hermanshof. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that was, uh, uh, you know, I, I saw it for one or two years, and I was there with Cassiana. I said, now we should make a decision, and so we picked one out, and I got a piece, and but still, that it's still just on the market. And if I look back, it's eight years ago, nine years ago that we made a decision. So. And now there's quantities because you start with one or three and then people love it. And then someone starts to grow it and then it's sold out because everyone likes it. And it's now in America. And I think that's the first delivery or real delivery is this year. So those, that, those are problems with new plants that you really know that you can use in, in public space or in your design or in, in any design you 
uh, because also the plants have to be durable. Uh, they have to be sort of resilient. They have to be strong, especially when you're working in in public space. You know, private private gardens are easier because if a plant fails, it falls out. They can buy a new one, but you can imagine if people call me from a big public space that you can't come over to see what goes wrong and what you know and what to replace uh, on 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 that scale. So you have to trust your plants, and if you if it goes wrong, you know what you probably can estimate what is going wrong. Uh, you can decide whether you plant it or or plant something else. That is, uh, you communicate with the gardener, uh, with the people that take care. On the other hand. And find out what to do. But with private people, they love gardens, but they, the communication about what to do when things go wrong, that is different. You, you do, of course, do private gardens as well as, you know, public uh, parks and public realm projects. You have said to me previously that you really love the public realm projects because, you know, you're communicating to so many people. Is that really, is that why you prefer those larger scale projects that you seem to be doing these days? Or do you still do private gardens now? No, I can imagine that, you know, we we started, I started with uh, just 96 with my first public garden in in Sweden, in, in, you know, in Enshoping. That garden became an example for many gardeners or many cities in, in Sweden. So that is the difference between private and public. And not only for myself, for me, it was a big experience because so many things went wrong that because I, we had a good understanding with the, the director of parks, we could easily, may uh, make it work again on the other hand. And I, uh, what I mean to say, so public make people aware. But also aware of what you do. Uh, if you, if I have kept my work within four walls uh, with a private garden, I wouldn't have been sitting here with you probably with the book I have because it limits you a lot. Also, and I know in the beginning when I uh, I came up, people said, "Pete, are there any new gardens we we can just uh, publish?" I said, "Yes, I have this garden here." For instance, Highline, no, 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 public gardens. People love uh, private gardens. You know, we don't do public gardens. And nowadays, it's sort of uh, more, more. It flips the other way around. It's the other way around. (laughs) So so by doing it, it turns around people's fishing on gardens too, you know, and what they, but uh, for me, it is this sort of also one way you get recognition on a larger scale because uh, private yeah, it's always good, you know, people love your work, It's uh, but in public, you, if it goes wrong, people will tell you if, 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 if you know, people call you, not call you, but let, let it know that you did something wrong or, or it doesn't look good, you know, the high line, oh, we were in the high line and, you know, a little bit behind with maintenance, uh, something like that. Yeah, I can't help that, you know, <laughs> and then the next one, a week later, later says, oh, it looks Terrific, so beautiful, you know. You can't predict what people say about your work, but at least I know that, you know, uh, the start is good and it all depends on the stewardship of people that take care of it. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the High Line and I, I think it's it's 20 years since the Ideas competition that yeah, first sort of started everything. 2004 was the first meeting with me wow. and, uh, and uh, yeah. the operation, yeah. 
I mean, it's it's been it's been quite a long range project as well as becoming so famous. I think it was 2019 that the spur, the last sort of section, yeah, yeah. Was, was done, done yeah. and then. That's like woodland planting style, which I think most people wouldn't associate with you as a woodland style. Uh, how has it been sort of from the, the, the very beginning, 20 years watching the project grow and change? I mean, it's quite unique in that way, isn't it? In that it's been running for such a long time and it's, it's that really famous public project. I'm just wondering what your feelings are about the first phases that happened and, and how things have changed over time. Yeah, but- got more easy with it you know that in the beginning you feel uh you know there's so many plants that so many things are happening during the installation and the big work you know in a big city and then i come over to oversee the planting and so on it's it's overwhelming sometimes when you look back how much you've done without you know without thinking uh, because i didn't think about thought about it just thought i'm going to do it and if we had a uh you know, there was some, there were meetings to say, oh, we probably doubt about this, or do we think these birches will grow there? And I had to convince people that they would grow there, even though I, I afterwards, when I went back home or so, I thought, yeah, will they grow there? So we have to, <laughs> <laughs> people make you doubt a lot, you know, by all their questions. Well, you think you do well, uh, you know, from, from out of your experience, you do so many things, and of course, you you don't do it always right, but you get so many questions about why you do it and how you not how you do it, why you do it, and will it be a success? And if you work on the highland, which is so big, and you say yes, you have to. If you say no, yeah, you can't say no. You have to say it will work, and then you see it works. That is a big achievement, also a big uh, reward for yourself. But you can see how how complicated it is, you know that. Million, so people can judge you. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, another project that you did uh, twenty years ago was the planting of the glasshouse borders at Wisley. And uh, of of course, you, it's been announced now that you are going to be revisiting that and uh, changing it and doing a whole new planting in that area. I believe, sort of over this autumn, winter, and into next year, if they can move a colony of Roman snails in time. Uh, I, I think there's a there's a slight delay, isn't there, with the planting. Is that fascinating for you? Is that interesting for you to to go back and redo a whole section like that, uh, to re- make a whole new landscape there? Yeah, I think uh, people were so happy with it, you know, but it looked a little bit tired and sort of uh, uh, sort of uncontrollable in, in my eye and many people's eye, I think. But uh, it's nice to make something. I love Wisley and the people there, and also I, I meet friends that you know that come over to to Wisley. You know, so many people love to go there, and, and so many people I know there that it is hard to say no if they ask you to do another design for the borders. And I think I was waiting for it for many years, and that and, and you see there was still in between a lot of delay uh, because I think the question if I could do it was maybe five years ago. And now we're starting. So, but I think I love the new idea of just people start from the hill or from the bottom and going through the garden meandering and just uh, see different kind of planting types, uh, not styles, one style, three types, three different sort of uh, planting ideas while they work. And then we try to fill it up in the background with beautiful shrubs, a lot of North American shrubs and little trees and just to make it, uh, yeah, you know, I think better. 
when they came, you know, in, to, in the year 2000, when we started, it was just to create a parallel borders to the double borders we have. So it was really focusing on the glass house. Uh, and people ask me often, why did you do it? did this straight line, you know, which is... Uh, yeah, it's not like you to do no, two borders with a path down the middle. <laughs> but that was what they asked me to do, you know, just two parallel borders in a style, uh, in my style. And, and I can imagine in the year 2000 that, yeah, my style has developed in more uh, more complexity than at that time. So that was also a reason that I would love to show what we do nowadays, you know, in, in these bigger plantings. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in, in how you would describe the difference between that planting, um, that you know, that style that you had then and what the difference is with what you do now. Yeah, I was not, you know, you, you know, the term matrix planting, where uh, where a few plants dominate the planting, where other plants emerge from, uh, uh, other plants that go up out of that planting, and it makes it more, feel more natural. Uh, that's what, uh, but uh, what I did at that time was just putting combinations together that followed up through the seasons uh, in that border. In Wisley, we had combination of four plants where the one flowered in June, the other one in the summer, and one in the fall. So it was a different approach of still with a four seasonal interest, but it was less complex. It was mainly a group planting, or in that sense, a more uh, there were more diagonal rivers or four combinations, and then repeating over that whole length. So the the different the big difference is that the layering uh, nowadays, more layering, so more intermingling of plants or matrix plantings. Or that intermingling, that is group planting, but two combinations of one group variety. Uh, I would say echinacea and then underneath we plant calaminta or we let gum out, veronica or veronicastum out of those groups. And I think that that is, uh, it is more complex. I feel that myself it's more complex to, to put it on paper to make it clear for people how to work it out. And that's good to have people nowadays that work with me. On my plantings, they understand it and how to do it in the following order. You can see that in the book as well, where uh, in, at Fitra, uh, how we explain how we set out the planting and, and, and the following order. And I think that is, that the complexity is what, is, is, is what happens. So complexity and which makes it more intense sometimes, more different and more, yeah, more natural, more wild. I could say wild. Yeah. Yeah, slightly more naturalistic feel rather than, yeah. let's say, what was known as that new perennials movement at the, the, the beginning. But we cannot just go, because people say, oh, you still do this block planting. And the block planting is a sort of traditional way of putting put plants together in a nice combination. And that works out over over in the garden as sim sort of simple. First, I would say block planting is necessary for people that don't understand the sort of matrix planting. Matrix planting needs more knowledge, needs more knowledge about the process of how plants develop, how they behave towards each other, how they can, and people with not enough knowledge, they lose control. They don't know whether this plant should really be there. Is it allowed to seed out a little bit? And I say with this, uh, so-called simple uh, group plantings or block planting, as you say, makes that people can reconstruct it, bring it back to what it was. And that's why I still do it. I still do it in public space where you know that the gardens are not really sort of have the depth of knowledge 
So uh, all my movements in gardens are uh, related with who's going to take care, where am I doing it? That's why I'm lucky to do it in places like Wisley, where you know the knowledge is great. I do it in uh, Petra. We have to teach people, say that we need a gardener, uh, because otherwise you lose the intent and you lose uh, could look good, but in ten year, five years' time you think, oh God, we cannot what to do. And I think that's we're lucky with the Lurie Garden in Chicago with great stuff, with Detroit, great interest to learn, a lot of volunteers. Volunteers are important because they can carry, they can learn, they love to work, they they socialize. Of course, volunteers is a matter of socializing with each other and talk about plants and gardens. So you help a lot of people that probably have no garden and just are very into or had a garden in the past but are older now and just want to do some garden work. And we benefit of that in our public space as well. Yeah? So we have, I think many gardens couldn't exist without volunteers. I think that's definitely, you know, two things that we hear about a lot are both that design projects and planting, uh, especially complex planting like you were talking about, that designers often feel, you know, that, that there really isn't the the knowledge base there. It's very difficult to find really good gardeners to maintain or have aftercare, look after the projects once it's been planted and completed. I, I don't think as many people are, are as um, positive about volunteers as you just were, but they definitely are the lifeblood of an awful lot of gardens, aren't they, and public spaces. Those people who give their time for free and uh, are really invested. One place that another project that you're going to be working on here in the UK, which is definitely going to have a lot of volunteers and has a lot of community support behind it, is the Camden High Line. What's what, what's the situation with that at the moment? I think a lot of people have been waiting a long time for that to get off the ground. I think it's a matter of finance financing. I think there's a green light to start, but I think uh, I, I just, it's all about the budget and money. I think that's what happens. And I think that, uh, yeah, that's the moment now. But there's a green light. And so it will happen one day. I hope I will uh, be there. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've walked the line, I believe, and, 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 uh, been asked to, to work on it. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 It would be beautiful to do something, but I think there's a lot of structural work to be done. There's a lot of definition to be done, you know exactly where to, what to do and exactly what to do. So my work will start when that is sorted out, more or less. And I can start working on a planting design, but if, if things are not fully designed, you know, in the, the design phase, the final design phase, then you can't do anything. And should people expect, do you think, to have the New York High Line just in London, or would you do something slightly different this time? No, I, I do what I do. I can't do anything else, but, you know... <laughs> As, you know, sometimes it's more woodland, sometimes more perennial, sometimes third. But there's a lot of, uh, let's say, housing along it, you know, where people live. And so there's all, I think they will be uh, communicated with the people that live there as well, more than at the High Line. I think it's more in the High Line, you know, that after it was done, it gentrified, the whole area gentrified. And I think you cannot just change Camden, uh, Camden so much anymore. So I think that it's a different uh, context, different. I think that makes it already, uh, if your work will seem different if they walk that. It doesn't have that sort of big impact as the Highland, I think. There's still a train running, you know, along the, that. 
spark. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> it's interesting. Well, that that's certainly going to make it difficult for planting decisions, right? <laughs> sometimes yeah, it's not. It's very narrow, but it's narrow. Some sometimes wider, but we'll see. I don't have. I have an idea, but I don't know what to do. You know, not. I'm not really know what will happen. Uh, and. I mean, you've you've travelled the world now and you've seen so many places and I know you're just as interested in, in landscapes as you are in gardens, but is there anywhere left that you feel you, you still really want to see that you haven't you haven't been to yet? Is there a, a landscape that you would still love to see or a, a place that you'd love to visit that you haven't managed to make it to? No, not really. I have seen many places. I think you could say, okay, I would love to see Nepal. I would love to see... Uh, I've seen North America several times. We traveled through uh, on holidays. I love North America. I love North America. I would love Scandinavia. I love the northern countries. You know, our, our sort of. I'm not fond of South America. I would love to go to Chile or you know that or Argentina just to see it. I think that that is. Uh, I would love to see. I haven't been there, but uh, Scandinavia. I've been there many many times, and so. China, I've been there with the group with Tom Short Smith and, uh, and, and other people, Cassian and James Hitzmo. So I've seen a little bit of China and I think we are now busy in Korea with creating a big park, a big public space. I love it because the people are so, you know, they, they do so much to make it happen. During my life, I see that I never risked something. It just happened. That is a point. I never had the time to think about, I would love to do this, I would love to do that. And, and the only thing I thought about, I want to have a little bit more space or room or time you know, between my work. And that is the only thing I long for, that I have more freedom in, you know, within my work, more space, more, it can take more time to see your own work. I think that is, and that happens more or less now that I take on lesser work. I try to stop my work over the oceans. Uh, so in America, I have still a project to go, you know, the Calder Foundation, Calder Gardens in Philadelphia. I go to Chicago next month in June to assess, do an assessment, go to Detroit. So I'd love to see back the gardens I've done, but I try to do it a little bit less than I did in the past. And I mean, I know something else is uh, you closed the nursery, but a few years ago, you also closed your garden to, to visitors and visitors had been flocking to see um, to see your garden there at your home. How has that been? Has it been lovely to reclaim your space, your garden for yourself and just enjoy being there gardening for you again? That feels better because you, you don't have an agenda. And I, I know that... Uh if your garden is open from Thursday to Saturday, you cannot do anything else. It's, Anya always had to be here. And since we closed, we don't, we still kept it open for groups. So still had a busy agenda to, and had to stay home. And I think that's stopped now. So we say, okay, we, we don't make appointments anymore. You that, that people say we will come in August. Can you, can we see the car and say, no, call me when you're, uh, in Holland, and we see whether we are at home or not. That is the only possibility, because in the meantime, we have so many good gardens in the Netherlands, uh, the Flinderhof, we have Singer, we have two museum gardens here. Just over the border here in Germany, we have this big Maximilian Park, which looks very good, and that's uh, that must be enough. Our garden, I just uh, we we garden, still garden it, 
but in a more simpler way, we try to do that uh, too. Uh, but people are not disappointed if they come, but we don't want to emphasize on our garden anymore as we did in the past. And you have an Instagram account now where you you people can see, you know, it changing through the year because you, you post such beautiful images of things that are, that are happening there. Is is that something you've taken to social media? Is it nice to share in that way? Uh, yeah, I love to share. But it's not, it's, it is just uh, Instagram because you see you get a lot of reactions. And I think it's sometimes you get a reaction, let's say 10,000, 14,000 on a picture you didn't realize that. People would love it and other pictures <laughs> you love yourself. You get only 1800 or so. Or, or, uh, uh, yeah, it is strange to see what people like and not like. And, uh, but, but you also notice that there's a lot of followers that are not really followers. They only follow you because you have so many followers. I see. Part, part of that is, <laughs> that's also true, you know, that uh, I like it and I'm very easy, you know, for Instagram is just posting is, is just simple thing. And then to see how other people react on that is also nice. You know. Is there anything that you feel you still have to do? You still have to prove, you know, is there a project that you would get really excited about or would love to do a sort of fantasy project uh, of something? Yeah, that you talk you've about fantasy wanted. all the time, but I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's the format of the podcast yeah, usually is that we ask people about their yeah, dream yeah. gardens. But uh, well, I say the proof is in the pudding, huh? Is that right? <laughs> that is my work. It's it's the fantasy is just something imaginary that you cannot explain. And I think I, I never had, had during my life everything just came into me that dreaming about things before there was never time of for. It all came on my path, and then you start dreaming into what you could do for that particular project. But uh, and I'm Although your podcast is about imaginary projects. I think it's about the best of, of things and what you think, you know, the most wonderful plants and places are that maybe people would love to know what you think, you know, really good examples of of places that they should go and see or people that they should know about uh, or planting that they should consider. Oh, yeah. So. yeah of course, I think just landscapes are for me the most important thing. And gardens, you know, we know all the famous gardens in England and then every place you go. But I think I would love to see more public space that people could see what, what is done there. So I think Tom Sure Smith is doing a lot of public space nowadays. And uh, I think many others uh, in, in, in our field. That's important for people to learn. I think it is also the, the biggest challenge for us to create something that people will see as, as just improving making the world a better thing huh? and, and uh, creating more diversity in our, our space. I think that is, for me, always has been a goal, you know, to, to show people what you could do. Huh? And that that may be my dream, you know, to show people what they can do for themselves and also uh, to create a nicer world uh, in the city or any place where people go to. I think that is maybe a dream that I never thought of, you know, never think of, but... In fact, it's what I try to do. That was Pete Adolf talking to me, Stephanie Mahan on Talking Gardens, brought to you by the team behind Gardens Illustrated magazine. Discover the new book, Pete Adolf at Work, published by Fiden, out now. And look out for news about the new plantings at RHS Garden Wisley at gardensillustrated.com. Hit follow now to make sure you don't miss an episode.